0: Good morning. As always, it is a delight to be here with you, especially in this space. Uh, if you want a reminder of why we're here, hopefully you passed the full dumpsters of bleachers on your way in because our previous sanctuary is completely torn out. And the new one hasn't been assembled yet, uh, but it is a joy to, to worship with you and to look at God's word together today. So we're going to be finishing off our run through the book of Hebrews today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to be hearing a similar message that we've heard echoing throughout the entire book of Hebrews in the context, the church it is written to is under pressure. They're under pressure to uh, conform to their culture. They're under pressure to not really hold fast to Jesus, but to either leave their faith or to add other things to it. And in this passage, there's gonna be a comparison made by the author saying, look, what you have in Jesus is so much better than what you're leaving behind. And the comparison he uses is for the day of atonement and the sacrificial system of Jewish society. And we'll talk a little bit more like that, but he's essentially answering the pressure of why it's worth following Jesus, even if it costs you something, even if there's fear and anxiety involved of what the consequences will be Of following him. So we're going to be in Hebrews 13, verses 10 through 16. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along with me. Uh, The words are also in your bulletin and will probably appear on one of these screens behind me. Uh, So listen to God's word this morning from Hebrews 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places, by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me this morning? God, we, we need to see clearly. We need to see Jesus clearly and what he's done for us and what does that mean for our lives But we know that only comes in a lasting way through your word, God, through the work of your spirit. So we ask, would you come, would you meddle in our lives today? Would you teach us from your your word, from your instruction, God? Encourage our hearts, we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we're not in exactly the same situation as the church to which Hebrews is written. There's not a sacrificial system going on, but we too have anxiety and fear at times of what it will cost us to follow Christ. I don't think that there's any of us that really like the idea of being disliked or rejected, to feel like an outcast, to be labeled uh, because of our faith. So there's tension of what will it cost us to follow Christ. And what the author is pointing out today is that if we have a clear and compelling look at how Christ has loved us, at what he has done for us, those concerns become secondary. And we will see that what we really want to do is to follow him wherever it takes us, no matter what the cost. And that's the simple outline of where we're gonna go today. There's one main point. Jesus loves you and has done a lot to accomplish that relationship. And then there's an application. Well, if that's true, we have to follow him. And then there's a final encouragement to keep perspective. So that's what we're gonna look at today. And we're gonna start at just by looking at what Jesus has done. Now, you you probably noticed some language in the passage that you don't normally hear about tents and things being sacrificed and blood and stuff, but it's talking about the, the sacrificial system that would have happened in the tabernacle, that would have happened in the temple. And what it's really focusing on is one event called the Day of Atonement, which is a really big deal, which would have been a really big deal in their culture and society that they were coming out of. And what the Day of Atonement is essentially trying to do is to address this main problem. There is a holy and just God. There is a sinful and rebellious people who do not love him as they should, who do not follow him as they should. How do those things coexist without God righteously, justly, and appropriately just annihilating them? because God was dwelling among them. He'd made promises to be their God, for them to be his people. How, How does that work? And the day of atonement is answering that question by saying there has to be a sacrifice for sin. There has to be a shedding of blood for sin, an atonement being made, a debt being paid. And that is what the day of atonement is doing and focusing on. Now I know most of you probably have already memorized Leviticus chapter 16, which talks about the day of atonement. So I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir here and you completely understand what the day of atonement is. But let me give a refresher, maybe just for my sake. In the day of atonement, what would happen is the high priest, one, one person once a year would first make a sacrifice for himself for his own sins and would then take in a sacrifice for the sins of the people into the holy of holy places. So when the tabernacle was set up, um, the the closer you went to the holy of holy places, the more exclusive it was. Nobody went into the holy of holies except the high priest once a year. Why? Because essentially that's representative of God's presence, God's essential throne room on earth with his people. Now we know God is everywhere everywhere. Um, he's not limited by space or time or any of that, but this was representative of where God dwelled with his people. So you wouldn't just barge into God's living room uh, so that only the high priest would come in only once a year and only to make a sacrifice. And that's what would happen in the day of atonement, trying to deal with the fact that there was a holy God and sinful men. So the point here that he's making is there's a comparison. And scripture's really clear that the day of atonement, that the sacrificial system was never meant to be an end in and of itself. It was always meant to be a pointer to Jesus. Hebrews 10 actually says that in verses three and four, it says that there's a reminder of sin every year with the day of atonement. There's a reminder that your relationship is not permanently right with God. There must be atonement made because you're broken, sinful people. But it also goes on in verse four, it says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible. It was never meant to do that, but to point to the ultimate sacrifice, which could actually do that, which Hebrews 10 continues to say is Jesus, that his sacrifice was so effective that when he was done, he sat down. The priest every year had to offer a sacrifice over and over. When Jesus did it, it was finished, it was done. And verse 14 of chapter 10 says that he has by his single sacrifice forever perfected those that he is sanctifying, forever perfected those that follow him. So the author is saying, yes, you are gonna leave some things behind. Yes, you may be anxious about the day of atonement, the sacrificial system, but what you have is so much better. That is the sign you actually have the substance. You have the reality that that was always meant to point towards. So in the day of atonement, one person once a year fearfully with the sacrifice of animals could come into God's presence. But what has Jesus done for us? All people that know Christ, all of you who call Jesus your Lord and Savior at any time can as Hebrews uh, 10 19 says, with confidence, because of what Jesus has done, come into the presence of a holy God. That's a slightly better scenario to have, right? Than one person fearfully once a year, and you better hope he does it right so that your sins are covered. Instead of, I can come boldly as a dearly loved child into God's presence whenever I want, knowing that I will only receive kindness and good and loving care for him because Jesus has forever dealt with what separated us. That is a better thing, I promise you. And they were worried about it, but the author's saying, what you have is so much better. Now, often, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, we can kind of get used to hearing, okay, Jesus loves me. He atoned for my sin. Okay, that's good. And we forget that that's actually a really big deal, that we could come into God's presence with confidence. And I'm reminded of a different picture of God's presence of when another person came into his throne room, essentially, in Isaiah six, the prophet Isaiah has a vision of being in God's kind of heavenly court. And his response is not with confidence. His response is, I should not be here. He is essentially calling down curses on himself. He's woe is me. I'm a messed up person and everybody, everybody I know is a messed up person. Because when he comes into God's presence, he sees this is holy and good and right. And this is not, this should not be. These two pieces should not go together. It does not make sense. To go from that calling down curses on yourself in God's presence to coming into his presence with confidence, that should not be. That is not what we deserve. That is not what we have earned. That is only the mind blowing grace of Christ that sinful people could be made clean and invited into God's presence and his family. It's like the difference between an allowance and an inheritance. Which would you rather have, right? An allowance kind of has to continually be renewed. It's usually in a small amount. Uh, most of you probably are not collecting an allowance anymore if you're like under 20. If you're over 20 and still collecting an allowance, we probably need to talk about like leaving the nest. That's a separate sermon. But with an inheritance, you get all of it. You get all of it now and it's yours. You're not waiting on it, it belongs to you. He's essentially saying that's not an allowance, but what you have, the grace, the atonement you have is an inheritance. All of the forgiveness of Christ belongs to you. All of the righteousness that he accomplished by perfectly obeying and honoring and loving God now belongs to you. The holiness that he earned is fully yours now permanently at the high price all paid by another. Now we often don't slow down enough to really see what's happening, but the author is making the point of, look, Jesus was crucified outside the city so that you could be made holy. What he's essentially saying is he was rejected so that you would be accepted. That he was defiled, spat upon so that you could be forever made clean. That he was cast out Murdered outside of the city so that you could be given life and that you could be accepted and brought into God's kingdom permanently and forever. The point is, you are in no way missing out. You are in no way having less than someone else. What you have the love and acceptance of a holy God that you didn't deserve, that you never could have earned. Is anything better, is so much better than any cost you might have to pay to follow Christ. But it's an important qualification to make here. That's true if you are in Christ. If He is your Lord and Savior, you have confidence when you enter God's presence. If that's not true of you, if you're trying to be a good person so that God will like you or you don't care, you should not be coming into God's presence with confidence, but fear. Because there is still something between you. Your sin has not been dealt with. It can be Christ offers that. He says, follow me. I have died, I've paid the cost. But if your trust is not in him, you have reason to be nervous in God's presence. If that's something you're not sure about, come talk to me or one of the leaders. We would love to have that conversation. But the picture of this passage is a costly love giving to undeserving outcasts at a great price. And there's only one appropriate response and it's follow Jesus. And we see that the passage says that in verse 13, where the author writes, therefore, because of what Christ did, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the same reproach that he endured. The idea is essentially saying, go to him is another way of saying, follow him. Follow him wherever it takes you, even if it's into difficult, scary, or even costly places. Now, for the original audience, there would have been real consequences. They were essentially leaving their entire society and they would have faced rejection. People would have been like, oh, you're one of those that follows the dead God? Yeah, have fun with that. We're over here not with the crazy people. There would have been real rejection in their choice to follow Christ, now, the point being made is that you're so loved and provided for that you can suffer the loss of most things because what you already have is so much more than what you ever could lose. Now, for us, it's a little different. I mean, we, we really like the idea of following Jesus, sometimes in theory, but we often hedge our bets. Yeah, I want Jesus, but you know, I really would like to be successful. I really would like to not have to worry about money. Uh, I, I really would like to have material happiness and comfort. I, I want Jesus, but I really would like people to like me. I want Jesus, but I really want to avoid pain. And often those extra things actually become the things that we're following instead of Christ, those actually become the things that we're listening to, the things that are, are driving us. So a, a diagnostic question for us today is what's the loudest voice in your head? Is it the voice of culture that says, hey, come be like us. It's easy over here. Accept all the American ideals everybody else has. Be safe, be secure, be wealthy, be happy. Don't really worry about that other costly stuff or the people that are suffering or injustice come over here, it's easier. Or is it the voice of fear, of not wanting your faith to cost you things, for it to be uncomfortable? Or maybe even the voice of your family that says, this is what matters, this is how you live a good life, be a good moral person, do the right things and don't worry about the rest. Who or what are you following? Well, let me ask it another way. What are you putting your trust in? When we see the love of Christ correctly, the, the cost of following him, the reproach that we might face, it really fades to the background because we realize how can we do anything other than follow one who has loved us so thoroughly, so securely, and so permanently? The passages are simply saying, fear not. Jesus is a good shepherd, And you can trust that he will lead you well no matter where he takes you and that he will go with you, before you, alongside you and after you. Now, the first step this morning might simply be to ask Jesus, where do you want me to go? Or even are there things in my heart that are keeping me from following you? Are there things that I value and prioritize and care about more than what you say, than your love for me? Now, none of us does it perfectly, right? That's why the Bible was written. That's why we need this encouragement. But that's the entire reason there was an atonement. Your hope is never based on whether or not you're a good follower of Jesus. Your hope is based that Jesus is really good and his sacrifice was enough for you. And because that's true, following is our response to the love that he's already given. Now, that's the application point. Follow Jesus. It's really complicated, but I have faith in you guys. Well, finally, there's an encouragement to keep perspective. We see that in verse 14, where the author simply says, look, for here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. What he's essentially saying is this is not permanent. Yeah, if you get rejected, if you get uh, made fun of, if you have to face rough, difficult consequences for your commitment to follow Christ. This isn't forever. This is not permanent. Your heart must be set on a better city that is to come. But we often act as if this city, if this world is really all that there is, and it's really the only thing that's going to last. And it reminds me of a scene from the sitcom Parks and Recreation. In this scene, the entire Parks and Recreation staff is going on a campout because their leader Leslie is kind of an active activist for the outdoors, right? She's a big outdoor person. So she says, let's all go camping for a brainstorming weekend. Well, one of their staff, Tom Haverford, uh, he's a little different and he decides to do camping his own way. So what he does is he essentially buys all of Sky Mall. So here's what his camp looks like. It's about a half acre tent. He has one of those full body massage chairs, you know, that you sit in that gives you the back and the leg massage. He has a soft serve ice cream machine with sprinkles. I think maybe there's a jukebox in the corner, flat screen TV with Xbox. I mean, he's really, really roughing it. Well, it turns out that he hooks up all his electronics to the battery of their ride home and they end up stranding in the woods when he uses up all the juice. But the idea is Tom doesn't really get, that's not camping, That's not camping. He's moving in. He's like, man, I'm gonna live in the woods for the next three years. I'm bringing my U-Haul of stuff. And it's kind of funny and a little ridiculous, but often we live like that too. Often we forget that pain and trouble here that we may face, it's not the end of the story. It's not permanent. But often we live trying to get the most satisfaction and pleasure out of this life. Like this is all we get, so we better use this one chance. Carpe diem, seize the day because this is your only day. And it really is short-sighted and lacks perspective. And we need that perspective, that encouragement that this world is not all that there is. And when we acknowledge that, it presents to us both a challenge and a comfort. Now it's a challenge because if you are trying to build your own kingdom here for your own pleasure, for your own success, for your own reputation. It's like buying a beach house on an eroding shoreline. It will be fun for a little while, but it's not gonna last, and it's really not a good investment. And it shows that we're missing the point, that we don't grasp the love that has been given to us, the promise that more is coming. We're not seeing Jesus clearly, and actually we're settling. And we were made for more than that because what Christ offers us is greater identity, greater uh, belonging, greater sense of worth than anything we could find here in this temporary life. But there's also comfort. If you feel like an outsider, if you feel like a reject or an outcast, if you suffer a lot in this life, lift up your head and realize that better is coming that this is not all that there is, that Christ is now preparing a, an unshakable kingdom, a new city that you will dwell in perfectly, that there is more coming. And that as you suffer, you don't suffer alone because Christ suffered already outside the camp. You are in good company. You are not alone. And this is not the end of the story. So friends, friends, Here's my encouragement. Here's the encouragement of God's word this morning. Look early, look often, look deeply at Jesus and what he has done for you already. He has atoned for your sins. He has paid your debt. You have confidence to be in the presence of a holy God and call him daddy, call him father because of the price that Jesus paid. And only because of what he has done, you are no longer an outcast or an outsider, but a dearly loved son or daughter of the king of the universe. You have a better world coming, a better place already secured for him, for you. And the only response we can have is follow him wherever it may take you, whatever it may cost you. And with that encouragement, with that love ringing in our ears this morning, would our response be the response that's written out at the end of our passage in Hebrews? That through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Amen, and please pray with me. God, we're so used to hearing that you love us that sometimes we forget it's radical and scandalous, that we really, really don't deserve that. We deserve to be terrified in your presence, scared of the judgment that we earned. But what we receive is love and kindness, not because we figured it out, not because we got better, but only because Jesus paid the price because Jesus was the sacrifice we needed to do what we could not do. So Lord, stir our hearts to the response of saying, I will follow you wherever you take me because you are good and because you love me so profoundly much. Would you loosen our grip on this world, the things that we cling to, and let us cling only to Christ in the hopes of the new heavens and the new earth that he will bring to pass. We love you. Thank you that you first loved us. Amen.